as we look to the Lord in prayer. And Father, we're thanking you. No matter what the externals are, whether wise or otherwise, the internal reality of the work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts is critical. And we want to invest time in your word as you've invested in us through the work of Christ on the cross. There's depth and there's richness here. And there's something that I think, frankly, everybody is going to be able to relate to in some way, shape, or form in these verses. Here's a man who's faced so much, who is willing to give so much so that we might know you better. So, Father, in these minutes to come, warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. So again, now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus, him only. Praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. When we heard that the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, would be retiring, my mind immediately went back to a story of a former Speaker of the House, a gripping story of how Sam Rabin, congressman from Texas, ministered at a point of need. The writer tells us the teenage daughter of a reporter, Rayburn, one that Rayburn knew, died suddenly. The next morning, the reporter heard a rapping on his apartment door, and he opened it and found Rayburn standing there. I just came by to see what I could do to help, said Rayburn. The reporter, who had asked tough questions of Rayburn in the past, the reporter, stuttering and trying to recover from his surprise, indicated that he didn't think there was anything the speaker could do. Arrangements had been made. Well, he asked in his Texas drawl, have you, have you had your cup of coffee this morning? The reporter confessed that they had not even had time to think about that, and so Rayburn said, well, I can at least make the coffee this morning, and made his way into the kitchen in search of coffee. Well, while Rayburn was busy with coffee making, the writer tells us, the reporter remembered that Rayburn usually had a stated weekly appointment on this particular morning. So he half inquired, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to have breakfast at the White House this morning. Well, said Rayburn, I was. But I called the president and told him I had a friend who was in need. I couldn't come to the president. I wanted to come to you. What we have to do when we begin to make decisions about our commitments in life is to introduce a degree of flexibility in life. So when people are going through various trials and confronted with various difficulties, 
Are we wise enough and flexible enough to adjust our schedules to meet the needs of the hour? Now, the Apostle Paul understands this. He is a man committed to the integrity of God's word, and he's a man wise enough to manage the flexibility of one's schedule. A wise congregation, an effective congregation, a cutting-edge congregation, through the highs and lows in the easy and difficult times of life, understands this. What I want to do with you is to explore this word comfort. It keeps reappearing here constantly in these opening verses. Try to understand what it means. Try to get a glimpse of how it relates. and Try to make some practical sense as to how we can infuse this into everyday living. There's four distinctives I want to draw out. Our primary attention will be three through seven this morning. But using verse 2, in that connecting point, grace to you and peace, noting the sequence, grace first, then peace. Notice first with me, by connecting grace and peace, we minister effectively by noting the source of true comfort, and it starts off this way. Here's your source. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Camp on that phrase for just a moment. Now let's say that it's a funeral and you have been driving over into the church building and you're wrestling with what do I say when I get in line? How do I offer a sense of condolence? What is my starting point? I want you to notice that in the crises of life, When you and I are attempting to provide comfort in life, God is the starting point of life. Now he begins with the word blessed. Blessed. Here is a man who is going through trials of life and confronted with problems of life, and instead he's offering praise to God in life. Not praise for his trials, he's praising God in the midst of his trials. Can you do that? This is the sort of thing that brings clarity to life and offers wisdom to souls who are going through tough times. But what I want you to see and not overlook is how this opening phrase is repeated not only by Paul in other texts, but also by Peter in his opening chapter of 1 Peter and how it relates to the cross of Christ, and in particular, the statements, the seven words of Christ. Because in the midst of the trials he's experiencing, and yet the trials that he wants to offer comfort for others, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Gar, how does that relate to the cross of Christ? On the cross of Jesus Christ, the first and the last of the seven statements began with the word Father. Father, first statement, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, last statement, into thy hands I commit my spirit. In between the first and the last Father statements is a God statement. My God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? Now, interestingly enough, and I've talked about this before, the accent, if you were a musician, the accent is on the first. It's my rather than the second God. He's stressing the relational aspect. As he couples now the first and seventh statements, Father, and right in the middle, the fourth statement, God. And now you pull that back together when you see how Paul begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hit the pause button. In Corinth, we've been in various countries in recent years, but Greece, the latest. Here's one of the scenes. And what strikes me here about this is that Corinth at one time was the city of glory. It was the New York City of Greece. It was the setting of commerce and business. It's where the wealthy congregated and decisions made. But today, it is a setting of ruins. And as I looked at that and pondered the history of this, I pondered the way in which God brings grace to ruins. Redemption in the midst of the ruins of life. These people at one time would have said, these are the days of glory. This is where it's meant to be. This is how it's meant to be lived. And this is what's left. Now you and I traffic among people who have looked at their lives as nothing but a series of of ruins. One time it was a, a day of glory, but today it feels like nothing but a series of ruins. Look at the earth. All the stones. I think of Romans 8 where it talks about the earth groans in anticipation of the Lord's return. And God has a way of transforming your groan into God's glory. From groan to glory. Back to the text. As it appears on the screen, notice that there is some grouping of phrases. Blessed be the God and Father that takes you to the cross, links you also to what Peter would say of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice how he's described here. First of all, he's the Father of mercies. Now, when you study that and you make your way throughout the scriptures, what you will find is that this idea of mercies has a past tense, has a present tense, and has a future tense associated with it. For the person who looks at the past and said, I used to experience such mercy in my life, but now worried about the future and what it entails. What strikes me is that the God of comfort extends himself beyond the past, beyond the present, and into the future with the mercy that he provides. He allows you and me to be able to understand the significance of what this is all about. And all this entails. But furthermore, it goes on to describe him not only as the father of mercies, again, father from that cross, but in the middle of the seven statements, the fourth one, God on that cross. And now he focuses upon that term, God of all comfort. Now, 
if you're looking for ways to comfort, if you are in positions of work, responsibility, or just relationally, it's easy to simply glance over these verses, and I know that word comfort and move on until you begin to break it down. The COM at the beginning of comfort is also found in the word community. In the Latin, it carries with the idea of togetherness or withness, you see. Bringing people together. Now, when you're trying to instill comfort into the heart of someone, you're trying to bring something or someone together for them. But I want you to see the second part of that word, F-O-R-T. Fort. We get fort, fortress, fortify in music, forte, force. What we are describing here now is that you and I have to understand that life is not a playground but a battleground. And God's people are positioned to be fortresses in the battle of life. But not stationary, because you saw the COM before the FORT. Curious with the idea of come. They are either going to be coming to you or we're going to them, coming to them. You are what I will call this morning a movable fortress in the battles of life. So now look for battle-weary people who are struggling in some way, shape, or form with why they're going through what they're going through. Life is difficult, life is challenging, and you are in a position to offer something that perhaps other people are not able to relationally, in some cases medically, in other cases occupationally. What do you do? Where do I begin? You begin with the source. Source is God. You become very specific, and what has God done? It takes you to the cross of Jesus Christ. And there, the one who provides comfort is the one who is depending upon the word of God for comfort, Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he bridges, doesn't he? He's the Father of mercies. He is the God of all, not some. The God of all, not some comfort. In other words, this is not comfort for merely select times, but all times. This is comfort, not for select places, but all places. This is comfort, not for select people, but all people who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior they experience the one who, C-O-M-E, would come into this world to die in our place for our sins. And have you pondered the fact that in the portability of the fortress, the Holy Spirit is referred to in the Newer Testament as the Comforter? So now you have portable comfort, a portable internal comfort, fortress, equipping you not to be a reservoir of God's grace, equipping you to be a channel 
a canal of God's grace. And I thought about that when I came across this statement from Dr. Tom Dooley, who wrote this letter December 1st in a biography of 1960 to his pastor, and I'll paraphrase. They've got me down, flat on my back, plaster sandbags, hot water bottles. I've contrived a way of pumping the bed up a bit so that with long reach I can type. Now, two things prompt this note to you. The first is that whenever my cancer acts up a bit, and it's certainly acting up right now, I not merely turn inward, I look upward. Less do I think of my hospitals around the world that I was privileged to start, or of 94 doctors, fundraisers, and the like. More do I think of the great physician and my personal fund of grace. Isn't that good? It's become pretty definite that the cancer has spread to the lumbar vertebrae, accounting for all the back problems I've had over the past two months, making it difficult for me to treat my, treat my patients. Inside and outside, it seems as though the wind blows. But when the time comes, like now, when the storm around me strikes, it really doesn't matter. Nothing human or earthly can touch me. There's a peace based upon God's grace that gathers in my heart. What seems unpossessable, I can possess. What seems unfathomable, I can fathom. What seems unutterable, I can utter. I can read God's word, he speaks to me, I can pray, I speak to him, I can communicate. Question, how do people endure anything on earth if they do not know God as their father? Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then to add emphasis, the Father of mercies, God of all, not some, all comfort, come, come, fort, fortress, fort, forte, force. See where we're going with this? Here's the idea of strength. For as I tried to pen for the insert for this Sunday, it has been said that God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but rather to make us comforters. You see, due to sin, we are in an uncomfortable world. The natural tendency is simply want to be wanting, wanting to be comfortable. But what God wants us to be is comforters in the midst of the uncomfortableness of life because there are going to be a lot of people wrestling with why am I going through what I am going through? 
How do I understand God in relationship to life? And how do I understand life in relationship to God? What does all this mean? And now here comes their movable fortress in their direction, maybe into a hospital room, maybe into a sanctuary on a Sunday morning, maybe into the multi-purpose room, maybe into the workplace during the course of the week. And will anybody understand? Will anybody really care? Where do you begin? You begin with your source. You pray ahead of time, God, give me wisdom. I'm not going to be the source of what's said here. You need to be the source of what's said here. I want to minister effectively, but I've got to begin with what comes first, which is who comes first, the starting point of my life, the source of true comfort. So he says at the beginning of verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction. Now what you and I do is we say to ourselves, okay, as I am being comforted, at the same time, you're telling me I am in the midst of my own uncomfortable experience of life, experiencing comfort from God, but what am I supposed to do with it? And the answer is the second distinctive, what we'll call the purpose of true comfort that appears on the screen. And how does it read? Here is the why behind the comfort you receive from God. It tells you what you're supposed to do with the comfort, the internal fortress that God has produced, so that we may be able to comfort, able to bring this fortress to the battlefields of life, to do what? To comfort. You are now building a battle plan for them and a fortress that they can turn to. Those who are in, those who are in any affliction. In other words, he's connecting you. I want you to see two pictures that appear on the screen. First one, classic painting. Corinthian Canal. Study it. Evaluate it. Be an art critic for a moment. Late 1800s, this picture was made. It's a classic. Notice the boats. They've made their way through a very narrow setting. Notice the slope and the context of each of the aspects of this mountainous terrain. Ponder the history. You see, in the times of Nero, he dreamed. He dreamed of creating a canal right there. Couldn't do it. He utilized 6,000 enslaved Jews to chip away at that mountain to create a canal, and they couldn't do it. Nero died without seeing his dream fulfilled. But in the late 1800s, this canal was created and the Adriatic and the Aegean seas were connected. And that which was disconnected is now connected. There is a channel. There is a canal. And you say, Gare, how does that relate to me? God positions you where people feel as though I feel so disconnected. 
you are offering the opportunity to channel grace into their lives, ministry into their lives, leading them to the cross of Jesus Christ. They are understanding where true strength comes from, the one who even comforted others on that cross. A modern-day scene. And capturing one side of this canal, as you and I, if we pull out maps this afternoon, the Adriatic and the Aegean are being connected. Previously, disconnected, like a lot of people in this world. But now the connection has been made. It's narrow. But look at all the chipping that had to take place for that canal to be produced. Now, if you're going to be used by God, there's going to be a lot of chipping that takes place in order for the canal of grace to be produced so that something is not merely bound in you, but flowing through you, you see. Oh, there's so much of the richness of who God is and how God works when you begin to explore what's here, what's meant to be. You're here for purpose. So now you're asking, okay, I understand my source, but what's the reason for all this? It's so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Now, we tackled that word comfort. But what we've got to do is to pull together three words. Afflict, conflict, and inflict. Afflict has to do with what's placed on someone. Conflict has to do with the tensions around someone. Inflict has to do with what's put into someone. At the time in which the Apostle Paul wrote, in the days of the Roman Empire, one of the means by which the Roman soldier wanted to persecute someone who had just been prosecuted would be to place a very heavy weight upon the chest until the person began to feel crushed. There are a lot of people that are feeling crushed by the weight of life, afflicted. There are others, they traffic in and out of our services and in and out of your life day in, day out, who are conflicted relationally by the challenges of life, maybe in their family setting, maybe in their work setting, Maybe relationships have gone wrong, conflicted. And then there's the inflicted ones where something has penetrated physically into their being. But have you noticed that when it comes to the trials and the death of Jesus Christ, all three distinguished him? Afflicted, conflicted, soldiers mocking him. Inflicted, sword piercing the side. Pull all that together because the L-I-C-T in the Roman time period was means by which a soldier could inflict pain upon somebody captured. And for people who feel as though they've been enslaved by the challenges and the difficulties and the trials of life, you're bringing Jesus into their life. Take them to the cross where they can find portable one who is the fortress of life, who has come to them to die in our place for our sins, so that when they are experiencing affliction, or we might add 
conflicted or inflicted. It's the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You're meant then to be a, a channel, a canal, not a reservoir of all this. This ministers. This captures the attention of the person. And they begin to realize that you care and that there's purpose in the midst of what it is you're going through and there's purpose in the midst of what they're going through. And all of a sudden, you've connected with them. You have become the canal of Corinth, so to speak. Now, once you've worked this through, you say, okay, I've got my source of comfort. I understand the meaning of comfort. I am to be a portable fortress and come to people and there are going to be times where people come to me, I get the L-I-C-T, afflict, conflict, inflict. I move from the source to the purpose. But now here comes a third distinctive. I want you to notice third with me, the sharing of true comfort. And now you're picking it up in verse 5. Notice the use of the word share. For as we share, but share how? Abundantly. Where? In Christ's sufferings. So through Christ we might what? Share. How? Abundantly. Second time it's used. Same verse. In comfort too. And notice the sequence. The sufferings of Christ precede the comfort you provide. You see, the sufferings of Christ at that cross become the basis by which you are comforted through God's grace. And as a result, then, you are able to offer this abundance where people need to not merely share suffering, but share in suffering, and then share in the comfort that comes in the midst of suffering. God has so designed things that for his sovereign purposes, he may not necessarily give you an explanation as to the why of suffering, but he has given his son to enter into the experience of suffering. And more significant than an explanation from God is a relationship with God. For you see, God's purposes are often hidden from us. But he owes Gary Highlander no explanations. But Highlander owes him complete love and trust. But like that canal and all of our suffering, God's people have access. Something has been opened up. What was disconnected and those who were disconnected now find that there's an opportunity to experience access. Now, in the midst of the sharing of true comfort, I want you to think about the seven words of Christ on the cross and link them to what you find here in verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. The phrase share abundantly in the Greek carries with the idea of overflow. You are 
experiencing the overflow in the midst of all this. I want you to now experience the overflow of Christ's words from that cross as you think about what he shared on that cross for you and for me. He was not a reservoir but a channel when he offered this phrase, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I don't know about you, but oftentimes in ministering to people in pain, you are going to meet people who are bitter about life. But we find that bitterness only makes suffering worse and closes the canal, closes the spiritual channel through which God can pour his grace. Not reservoir, channel. Or Take another phrase from that cross and link it to, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Where Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus is in pain and yet he's ministering to others. And you and I might be either afflicted or conflicted or inflicted. Yet we're not to be reservoirs, we're meant to be these canals, meant to be these channels. Suffering can oftentimes make people feel very selfish. But what Jesus Christ demonstrated is that we're called to be selfless. On that cross, he was turning to that thief who probably had a resume less than ideal to present to God the Father. He says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. What words tumble from your lips when you're ministering to people in need? I'm thirsty, Jesus said. Do you realize that Jesus was willing for an anonymous bystander to wet his lips? We don't even know who that person was. In his pain, he served others by permitting them to serve him. Ponder the anonymous of your life. Father, into your hands, thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus died the way he lived yielded to the hands of the great physician. That moves me. should stir you. How do I share? Bob Green has written through the years for the Chicago Tribune. Tell us this story. Douglas Maurer, 15, of Missouri, had been feeling bad for several days. His temperature was ranging between 103 and 105, and he was suffering from severe flu-like symptoms. Finally, his mother took him to the hospital in St. Louis, and Douglas was diagnosed as having leukemia. Now, the doctors told him what would be coming his way and didn't sugarcoat it. He was going to experience chemotherapy. There would be side effects. Upon hearing all that was described, 
we're told that this 15-year-old went into a deep depression. His aunt picked up on it. His aunt called a floral shop to send Douglas an arrangement of flowers. She told the clerk that it was for her teenage nephew who had leukemia. When the flowers arrived, there were two cards. Douglas read the card from his aunt, but then he picked up the second card. It's what was said that caught my attention. It said, Douglas, I'm the florist who took your order. I work at Bricks Florist. Douglas, I had leukemia when I was seven years old. I'm 22 years old now. My heart goes out to you. This is an expression of my love. Sincerely, Laura Bradley. The nurses say that his face lit up inside. Oh. Green writes, Douglas Maurer was in a hospital filled with millions of dollars of sophisticated medical equipment. He was being treated by expert physicians and nurses with medical training totaling in the hundreds of years. But it was a sales clerk in a flower shop making $170 a week who by taking the time to provide comfort and being willing to go with what her heart told her to do. That's what gave Douglas hope. Now, you and I traffic among people who feel hopeless and life has positioned them where they feel helpless. I want you to start with the source. From the source of comfort, I want you to move, second of all, then to the purpose of comfort. Uh, the purpose of comfort, then I want you to understand the sharing of comfort. God is building a canal. He chips away until finally the seas of life find a connecting point. But there's a lot of work that goes into building that canal. But once done, once done, you and I are ready then for the fourth distinctive. Kapasal verses 6 and 7. The hope of true comfort. Notice how many times he uses that word. Come and fought. Put it together. You are coming to or they are coming to for the sake of a fort in the battlefield of life. If we are afflicted, think inflicted, conflicted, and of course afflicted, the L-I-C-T was a common word for scourging in that time period. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And what is salvation? Jesus Christ dying in our place for our sins. We put our faith and trust not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ exclusively for salvation, so that we might have not merely temporal life, but eternal life. It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure, uh, not impatiently endure. Be a good patient. 
patiently endure. But then he adds, I feel the fellowship here of comfort. The same sufferings we suffer. In other words, a cutting-edge congregation understands this isn't a playground, this is a battleground. We've been positioned here either for people to come to us, we go to them. We are portable fortresses. But what they need is hope. And in verse 7, our hope for you. It's unshaken. You feel shaken. But what has happened is that we embrace the very same idea that the Apostle Peter was able to articulate for us in 1 Peter chapter 1. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, there are these profound words, blessed be, and notice how he begins, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, you as a portable fort have been positioned by God on the battlefield of life around people who have dying hopes. But you know that on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. Salvation is found not in our works, but in Christ's work. You are producing a sense of consciousness of the cross as well as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Help for the helpless. Hope for the hopeless. A living hope in the midst of dying hope. You can see what this does for parenting. See what this does for teaching. See what this does in the medical professions. See what this does Monday morning in the workplace. People need hope but they don't know where to go. But they need the living hope, Jesus. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And what fascinates me is that the word share here is the word koinonia, of which we get the word fellowship. And so if we are true to what life is all about, there is fellowship in suffering, but there's to be fellowship and comfort. And when you and I pull together these four significant distinctives and realize that God is busy chiseling a channel so that you can be the means by which grace flows into the hearts of others, and you understand the natural order of the sequence, grace to you and peace, you've got something to offer in the midst of dying hope. You offer a living Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. And so, Father, less than ideal conditions this weekend. Cancellations galore. You didn't cancel the cross of Jesus Christ. intact you didn't leave the body in the tomb 
He was raised. We don't have to live with dying hope. Christ is alive. So, Father, no matter where we are this week, it is portable fortresses. Whether we are coming to people or people are coming to us, help us to connect grace and peace. And may the distinctives that Paul has shared with us mark the way we minister to others. All for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.